This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso Lemon Scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. Hey there, you've wandered on to the VUC, a weekly conference produced by IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank Simwood.com. Simwood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSip.com. You can get a URL that people can click to call you at OnSip.com slash GetOnSip. Speaking of SIP, we use the best PSTN and SIP conference bridge in the world, ZipDX.com. Our website at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. And thanks to Voxbone for our world local rate dial-ins. That was one of the most exciting videos I've ever seen. I hope you all enjoyed that tremendously because I saw nothing. But here I am, any second. And there's so much lag, I'm going to switch over to the actual camera. Bear with me. So I am at the controls all alone. Michael is enjoying himself with his wife in Hawaii. And uh, we are privileged to have, of course... Simon Woodhead with us. Hello, Simon, again. Hey. Hi, Randy. Hi, guys. Very, and also privileged to have the rare Mr. Peter Dunkley with us. Peter. Hi. Hello. <laughs> and, of course, before I introduce our two regulars, we also have our favorite Italian Scott, Mr. Corrado. Hello. There Good he evening, is. Everybody. You're going to enjoy Corrado uh, in just a moment. Andy Smith is with us. Hello. This is so much Hang on. fun. I, who wants to be a millionaire? <laughs> yeah, really. Price is right. Yeah. All right. And Mr. James Bodie. Good evening. Oh, that was what you get from me. I almost wish I had that recording about It's high time that we heard from those eminent gentlemen, but we don't. So <laughs> uh, why don't we start? By the way, we were all at, well, all. Uh, Simon, Andy, James, and myself were at... Camellia uh, World in Berlin, and um, that was a momentous occasion, if there ever was one. So that was excellent. Simon, uh, before we get into the history of Simwood, what do you retain from Camellia World? <laughs> it was a good one. Um, best one yet, actually, mostly because we, we had a decent hotel this time. Um, I'm not sure who the credit uh, for, for changing goes to, but it was um, yeah, it was nice to be able to sleep. Um, it's a bit of a treat. But uh, the conference itself, as good as ever, bigger than ever. Um, Daniel and Ramona did us all proud again. Um, the speakers were the speakers were excellent, and looking forward to next year. But we've got the we've got the, the circuit of other excellent conferences in between, haven't we? With Tucon, Astrocon, a couple of a couple of others. So uh, roll on. And and which ones are you going to? If we if it's not an industry question. Clucon uh, and Astrocom. Okay, that covers. Well, actually, I'll say I'll say a lie. Clucon definitely. Astrocon, I'm waiting to hear from Mr. Duffett. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Duffett. Well, we'll see what we can do to get you in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, because it's been so many years, literally years, since we've uh, had the privilege of having you on, Simon. Simon is a long. Simwood is a longtime supporter of the VUC. I should say, as a sort of disclaimer, but also as a compliment to Simon's vision. Let's put it that way. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Simon, we and James suggested, and I think it's a good one, suggestion to uh, that you go back over a little bit the history. And I just saw on your blog that uh, you've been going for over twenty, well over twenty years now. But the actual formal declaration of Simwood is all is actually over 20 years now. And you started way before That's that. That's right. Simon started when he was six years old. Right. He was like 10. <laughs> he was, before he got the tricycle, he was already doing sip trunking and things. Simon, yeah. uh, what's the history of Simwood? Well, yeah, yeah. So uh, last Friday, I think it was, the, the actual company, the entity was, was 20 years old. But the, um, the project, if you like, the initial, the initial 
um, development started probably a good couple of years before that, back in late 95, 96, when mobile phones looked like they might catch on um, and the internet looked like it might be a, a mediocre success and I had the view that they might they might come together. So back then we developed um, what was the world's um, first global um, messaging system joining the internet and mobile phones, the transport being SMS. So we were competing against, um, or subsequently competing against a little startup called Research in Motion um, that had the crazy idea of developing their own, their own hardware. Uh, whereas we were using commodity SMS, we'd give people email addresses and they could receive their, their email on their mobile phone over, over SMS. That long predates um, SMS aggregators as, as we came to know them, um, know them subsequently. Um, and the way we were having to achieve it was um, what might be described as hacky uh, nowadays. Banks of, banks of Nokia phones strapped to, um, strapped to the serial ports on servers dotted in various, various parts of the world, but it, but it worked. Um, and it was quite exciting. I was, I was in full-time, full-time employment at the, at the time um, in finance. Uh, my finance job had gone a little bit quieter than the mania that had uh, preceded it in the in the few years before, um, and of course we hadn't got to the dot com boom at that stage. So it was, a, it was a little a little period of lots of exciting development and lots of exciting um, projects, and it kind of predated my um, or at least my understanding and awareness of of open source. And I guess if we did it again now, it probably would have been an open source project, but it had a very, had a very similar vibe to it. We had sort of probably two and a half thousand, three thousand community members. Um, as we built the service, we operated it for, for its first few years with, um, with no revenue, no charge. That's how come actually I, I came to, came to know Chardik, um, and uh, Chardik van der Kran. Um, the service actually ran in his student flat for a couple of years in its, in its early days because he had fantastic connectivity out there in, in the Netherlands and I could only aspire to dial up over here in, over here in the UK. Um, and a number of other people that we're, we're still involved with, you know, 20, 20 odd years, uh, 20 odd years later. Um, but, um, I think if I've ever I write a book, um, it will be that I exited SMS before SMS really became a thing. Um, we were we were working with the big uh, the big MNOs. In fact, for one of the MNOs, we we helped beta test their SMS launch. You know, it was at the time where SMS wasn't ubiquitous on a, on every network, um, and we had varying conversations with all of them, from them wanting to buy us to wanting to partner with us. Um, me and my youthful exuberance educated them on everything that we did and and how we did it, and they all subsequently launched services that competed with us. Um, and competing with your own supply chain is something I vowed I would never ever do again. Um, and here I am in voice, competing with my own supply chain. Um, so 20 years has taught me absolutely nothing. Um, it, it, would, uh, it would seem, um, but, um, but yeah, in between we had the, we had the dot com boom. Um, I got, uh, I got distracted with many opportunities. Um, some of which, um, generated large checks and I still can't explain why, um, others cost. 10 years of my life and I had to write large checks and uh, I probably can explain why in those, in those cases. Sadly, they happened in that order. So um, I, I refocused on this business, um, Simwoods, um, in uh, about 2005, um, having had a damn good kicking and, and lost everything. Um, and seeing that um, voice or in particular voice over IP had potential. We were using it in, in or had been using it in call centers of a number of businesses I'd been involved, involved with previously. And I desperately wanted to get involved with wholesale voice, um, but or voice over IP at some level at least. Um, but I hadn't had the hadn't had the time or the opportunity with with other sort of um, commitments, but but could from 2005. Um, 2005, 2010, um, we essentially worked on uh, building our infrastructure and, and crucially replacing our supply chain. So, so our philosophy was um, to own everything because only by owning everything can we truly control the experience and the quality um, that, that we provide. So that involved building the IP network, building the TDM network, which probably seems a backward step looking at it now, but was a necessary and conscious step backwards to, um, to get to get the control. Um, and here we are seven years later. Um, 
sorry, that's probably a longer answer to your question than you uh, than, than you wanted. That's, uh, no, I was expecting uh, more of a, like an hour answer. That's, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. So. <laughs> Now, I think that uh, we're going to ask Mr. James Bodie to intervene here. Yes, Simon. Um, the answer's no. I'm afraid <laughs> I, I, I know more about you than is, is safe. So, this is a problem. Uh, yeah. you, know, you started off in, in a financial banking type world. So what happened? Well, how did you fall out of banking? I, I actually, truth told, I actually started out washing other people's dirty sheets and making, making lollipops. Um, is is the sort of real distant truth. My 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 family um, is a is a family of launderers of the non financial sense. Um, so I, I grew up in the in family industrial laundry, um, playing in the chimneys in the toxic waste dump of the the local brick factory, um, and really got. You know, involved and immersed in in business from a ridiculously early age. I was uh, playing with the computer um, in the business and and you know doing the bookkeeping from sort of probably about six or eight, I think. Um, so and, at that uh, age, you you just you uh, displayed a certain aptitude for playing with numbers and things like that. For, yeah, for, for numbers, for, for yeah, playing with numbers. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, on the on on the business side, certainly on the on the computer side, it's a story of resentment and proving people wrong. I'm afraid. I, I went to school in well, what am I? I'm 42 now, so I went to school in the 80s, um, or at least you know, um, junior school and, and, and secondary school. My junior school had um, I think it had one or two BBC Model Bs, and they were the new thing um, that only the chosen few could could use. And uh, I wasn't one of the chosen few. I was deemed not to have the aptitude to be allowed to go to the after-school computer oh. club. Um, but uh, thankfully, um, my uncle, um, who's sadly no longer with us, was a teacher. Um, and he was being sent away on courses as a teacher to teach people how to use the BBC Model B in his school, um, which, of course, wasn't in use at weekends. So I was hugely fortunate that he would bring his school's computer and everything he'd learned the previous week um, ran to our house at weekends and show me, um, which was uh, which was you know so tremendously fortunate. Yes, yeah. So uh, so that that was great, and I think without that, my career path would have probably been um, completely different. Um, but uh, I elected not to go to university um, for sort of varying reasons, um, but decided I did want to get into into finance, um, which required that you'd been to university. Um, but um, thankfully, I managed to overcome that one. Um, well, you, and was, you, you now have some letters after your name, don't you? Yeah, yeah. They cost me several hundred pounds a year just, just to keep, even though they're completely useless now. But um, yeah, so I, I'm a member or fellow, actually, of the um, Securities Institute, which is now chartered. So that was the professional qualifications I had to do when I started out in finance as a, as a fund manager. Um, I think at the time I was probably the youngest qualified, well, was the youngest qualified um, in the Institute, but that was a, a stroke of luck because I, I was taken on as a graduate trainee without, without being a graduate. So I was a good sort of four years ahead of some, um, ahead of my peers there, which was, uh, which was quite fortunate. So, you know, come, come the age of 20, I was managing rather a lot of money. Um, but strangely at the same time, I was also troubleshooting the banks, um, IT department on behalf of the managing director who just couldn't reconcile why there, why there were smelly people in the basement that he had to pay more than he drew himself. Um, he genuinely could not, could not fathom this. Um, and sadly his, his IT director didn't really do a terribly good job of, um, job of convincing him. So I ended up in a role alongside my, my financial career and trajectory. I ended up in a role literally sitting between the two, um, translating business into quasi-geek um, and, uh, you know, really getting hands-on in, in the IT department. It was very much sort of corporate IT, not, not technology as you know, we know it on our side of the fence. Um, and, and that was interesting. Um, you know, it, was a, it was a joy being held up against the wall, age 
age 19 and having the, the little fishy lecture because there's something I'd put in my director, my report to the MD that he blazed into a board meeting and rollicked everybody about. But um, yeah, it was great to have that opportunity on, on, on both sides of the fence and um, you know, certainly, certainly taught me a lot. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, of course, things kind of escalated. Um, I, I note that you, uh, in your group, um, your company group, there are a whole load of companies that you started up. The one that really uh -huh. gra grabs my, my attention is GoneGardening.com. <laughs> what, the, what the heck was that all about? Grain um, plants and plugs. Just, Making just, a caring for a lawn. Yeah, just think commercial Afghanistan, and you're, you're probably about there. Um, so um, this was the this was the dot com boom. I'd, I'd had a, a couple of couple of successful startups. I'd started up um, in addition to those. I'd started up a web development business funded by my previous boss. Um, he basically paid me to leave and set up a set up a business for him. Um, and we wanted a showcase. Um, at the time, my best mate was um, was a buyer with um, a big garden centre group in the UK. He fancied a change. He saw opportunity in in the whole dot com bubble. And um, hey presto, you know, te technology plus plus buying expertise. And, and we had an e commerce site selling a whole load of stuff that I didn't understand. Um, we actually um, we sold far more than um, you know lawnmowers and. Streamers. We actually sort of ended up in dog food and wine and various other things. And that, that business kept me busy um, until um, really about 2005 um, because um, we actually defied sort of the odds. We made money. Um, we grew quite, quite strongly. Similarly to, to this business today, I wanted to control everything. So we ended up with a rather large warehouse and actually shipping our own goods rather than rather than drop shipping things. But um but we've been completely unsuccessful, or rather I've been completely unsuccessful, um, in raising funding. Um I describe I described the, the dot com boom as pre Martha and post Martha. Um and I can remember I was travelling or walking around the, the, the city having meetings about raising funding on the day that last minute dot com floated, which was the very the very sort of um What's, what's the word? Cusp between pre-Martha and post-Martha before she blew it all for all of us. Um, and, and yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't raise money and wasted a few years trying to, put on the advice of the financiers, changing the business plan into whatever the, the project de jour was in, in the space. To, yeah, to, to get there's, a re there's a recurring theme, theme here, which is all the time, time and time and time again, you're in the very beginning of something really quite interesting and sometimes in fact you've had a couple of successes but you've had failures as well it's yeah and, and uh, yeah and i actually i, I went through a, through a good period of actually being, being quite ashamed of the failures to be honest don't 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 like i say failures but failure um unless there's, there's one you know about that i don't but um yeah i um but actually if i look if i look back i learned far far more um, from essentially failing um, than I did from the business that, you know, we sold for a stupid amount of money and I never really understood why because um, it hadn't actually done anything. That, that, was, the, that was the crazy, crazy thing. And those those lessons, um, you know, have really, really carried with me and, and, you know, given me values that have caused me to wade into all sorts of situations since to prevent the same thing happening to, to other people because you can... Yeah, you can see the writing on the wall, and um, I, I sometimes wish we had more a more American type um, type approach to things in the UK, where failure was viewed as a as a, as a badge of honour. Um, whereas in the UK, we we tend to be quite scathing of it and scornful, um, which, which is wrong because it's the best education money can't buy. It um, is, yeah, absolutely. It's good to fail, but as long as you don't make the same mistake twice. Yeah, and as long as you fail early. Um, I think my my mistake looking back was I failed too slowly. Um, I actually, you know, set that business up in 2000. Um, sort of was basically, for all, to, you know, to, to give a war analogy, kind of, you know, in the trenches for five years, um, which is a huge chunk of your life if you if you think about it. Um, 
for an outcome that, frankly, I wish we could have got to in three months, like most other people in the sector did. Um, it would have been a lot, a lot easier and we could have just gone on and done more exciting things. Right. Uh, looking back on, on the, uh, the Internet Archive, uh -oh. the stuff. Well, well, you haven't seen. I found an amazing photograph of you. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm hoping that Randy will will show everybody in a moment. All right. It's, All right. It's really, really very smart. I don't know how. Uh, 2008 was where uh -huh. um, today's symbol tiny. really kind of kicked off. That's when the the goldfish or whatever it is, the clownfish, appeared. Yeah. yeah. Um, in its first um, iteration, and that's when you started building your big network. Mm -hmm. What whatever possessed you to do that? that that's this this thing about um, control, um, and coupled with not competing with my own um, my own supply chain, or rather having dependencies that that I'm I'm beholden to. And I actually, at moments of introspection, I, I wonder if I overcook this sometimes. But um, I, I have a thing that as a, as a business, we don't resell anything. Um, we we consume raw materials, we own certain assets, and we produce an original product. But other people look at the voice market and think, well, it's just a minute. You know, whose minute are you, whose minute are you reselling? Um, I view we're reselling our minute, um, and that minute may go to a peer rather than a, a supplier. Going back to the conversation we had before, you know, before we went on um, we went on air. So so building the IP network as, as well as a bit of a you know technical technical pleasure um, was was necessary to to control the experience and and these things grow grow legs I mean it would be easy to um, you know to start up and think well you know let's just be in one data center and let's be let's be in two for for redundancy but you know before you know it you're in sort of 11 or 12 for, for varying different oh my goodness for varying different reasons because they uh, <laughs> yeah you're very smart very smart young man. That was actually in the height of uh, that was in the height of gone gardening. That was. But um, what happened so. to the hair? How <laughs> yeah, do you really? mean, James? Do you, do you mean the colour? Um, well, no. I, I think I can still achieve that style now, relatively, relatively easily. Well, actually, the um, the sort of the uplift. But um, but yeah, it was it was grey even back then. I think that was probably ninety nine, was it? Something like that. It's, um, Sun bleached blonde. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I might have to use the. The right to be forgotten on that on, the, yeah. on that one. <laughs> anyway, tell us a little bit, bit about your network today, because you've Simwood has got the most amazing, robust, fault tolerant, uh, totally over engineered. Well, can I say totally engineered? Over engineered. It's not over engineered. It's just engineered properly, I suppose. Thank you. Yeah, I, I don't know if you can be you can be over engineered. I suppose in, in you know in this space, but yeah, we're so we're in. Um, what we describe as three availability zones. Um, an availability zone, you know, as you'll know from sort of AWS polls, um, you know, being being a a replica of the um, the infrastructure such that other availability zones can can come and go offline without fundamentally affecting the, the service. So those are those are London, Docklands mostly, um, Slough, so we've got critical twenty five mile separation there, and then Manche Manchester. Um, but actually, within those availability zones, we're in, we're in frankly, far more data centers than, a, than I'd like. Um, and that's just really through, um, through time. Um, so we're in uh, three data centers in Manchester with our own dark fiber ring um, in between them. That's purely because we were in one data center until they got bought by Telecity, who decided, uh, who reassuringly said, don't worry, we're not changing anything about your contract apart from cancelling this, 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 and this. So um, we ended up paying the same to essentially be in a data centre that wasn't connected to anywhere, um, which was which was handy. So, um, and similarly, similarly, London, we, with a few other ISPs, we um, co-light uh, a ring around uh, eight or nine, nine data centres in London. Um, so we're in all of those at um, at layer one, some of those at layer two, and then and then three or four of those at um, you know at layer three, where the application stack sits in those that um, tend to have more in the way of network, uh, sorry, more in the way of power, and um, the network sits in those that have more in the way of networks, such as such as telehouse. Sadly, the way these things evolve, there isn't just just one site or two sites you can you can go in and achieve uh, 
achieve everything. Yeah, that's actually it's actually changed a bit since then. So we've got um, we've got more links between um, Slough and uh, London now. So you'd sort of see three links between the two, and actually that that ring on the right hand side looks a bit more like um, like a sideways fi- figure of eight. Um, so there's a new version of that going going up because we we've been in in however many years we've been through three or four different 100% refreshes of, of the network hardware. So when we first started, we were really, really early adopters um, of a thing called Viata. Um, I'm sure you've probably heard of it or known as known as Vios now, Brocade and Viata. Um, back then, uh, doing routing in software was, was insane. Um, and actually agree having done it um what we didn't know until we'd done it was that um we were testing the bgp stack um and actually had to contribute quite a lot to to making it stable so did that sadly with the with the live network for a while in in the back end of the um of the 2000s but ended up with um a really, really strong product and there's a bit of if you google there's a bit of publicity out there when Beata went up against Cisco with Tolly reports and that kind of thing. We're in there as a as a case study, but uh, swap that out for all brocade in probably 2011, 12, something like that. Rationale for that was volumes were growing, IPC v6 were coming. We needed more more in the way of um, hardware routing, more capability. And then those of you that have seen my presentations at Dukan come Elio World in, in the last couple of years will have heard me bang on and on and on about um, Merchant Silicon and SDN. So what we did last year and are still in the process of, of putting the finishing touches to was ripping out all of the brocade stuff and replacing it with um, a Rista. But crucially, we were ripping out essentially refrigerators and replacing them with very lightweight, very high performance um, switches. Um, so network's now ultra low latency. Um, and that brings with it some compromises. Um, but those compromises can be mitigated in, in software. And there's, there's a few videos of me banging on and on about that. But, but that's led to some really interesting, um, projects in the last 12, 18 months and brought with it some, some challenges that are, that are really nice to solve. And, and, and to my mind, bring the best of both worlds from software and hardware. And actually, have many many parallels to to the SIP world, you know, in the sense that you, rather than doing everything on this big refrigerator that's very expensive and too big for the job, which you might sort of you know um, think back to big switch, um, you're abstracting your your signalling and your media just like we would in the um, you know in the, in the in the voice world. Yeah, clever. Somewhere along the line, you also picked up a directorship of uh, of a not for profit organization a very large and powerful one yeah so london yeah london internet exchange we've been members i don't know how many years now actually it it came quite late um quite late for us i looked longingly at links back in back in the 90s and and you know seeing what they were doing i think they started in in 92 so you know so back in the um you know the early dot-com boom links was you know a, a big a big force and and every every business that that we had, I kind of aspired to be a member of Links, but but never quite uh, never quite got there. Um, we joined as uh, as Simwoods. Um, I forget how how many years ago, um, and I I really engaged with it. In actual fact, it, it represents that quite a substantial change in in me personally. Um, I think probably pre what did be well pre mid two thousands. I was I was. Well, I still am fundamentally anti antisocial, let's let's face it. But I, I didn't really go to industry conferences, I didn't really go to um member meetings, that that type of thing. But actually all that started with links and I really came to appreciate the the value of, of community and there wouldn't be a, a member meeting that I went to that I didn't come back with something that was hugely, hugely valuable to the business. And it might just be some new open source project that I hadn't previously heard about. It might be some particular product from, you know, a, a particular carrier, but every, every time there'd be something that was, that was significant. Um, and just came to love the organization, came, came to love the people and wanted to get, get involved. And um, I tried for many years 
to um, to get elected um, unsuccessfully the first few times, but um, made it last year just before coming to Camellia World, actually. I literally had to leave the meeting before the results were announced to get on the plane to, to come to Camellia World. So that was a really nice surprise. Yeah, and I, I remember you dragging me along to, uh, to a Lynx meeting once. Um, I, I found it absolutely fascinating, the amount of traffic that flows through that, that, that switching centre or switching centres, because it's more than one, isn't there? Well, it's more, yeah, it's more, more of a fabric. So, so it's a layer two exchange that, that covers you know, pretty much every data centre that's any data yeah. centre in, in London and extends all the way out to, out to Slough. So um, what are we, something like 18 terabits per second of connected um, capacity now? Awesome, um, awesome amounts yeah, of traffic. So, yeah, and that's just actually the, that's actually the public exchange. Um, so that's the layer two fabric. Um, what's, what's not so well known is that um, Lynx operates um, essentially a, a layer one fabric. As a, as, a, as a member, you can buy a bundle of fiber and another member, they buy a bundle of fiber. Um, and Lynx will essentially plug them into each other on, on, on demand. So there's a significant amount of um, the world's internet traffic travels through what we call PI, the private interconnect side of things. And of course, because that's because that's layer one, that's that's not measured, but it's it's estimated to be of the same order, if not slightly bigger, as what goes through the through the public exchange. So that makes you one of the very small number of exclusive club of people who actually understand how the internet works at the lowest levels, the backbone level. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's obviously loads and loads of network engineers about the place, but they tend to be. Um, you know, they don't, they don't come well, out they, they like very specialised, don't they? And they know, know their little bit of the equation. But there are very few people who can stand back and, and can visualise the entire stack. Yeah, I, um, I would hesitate to, to call myself a network engineer. I, I, I must admit, I, I, I'm entirely self-taught, um, you know, certainly in latter years. Um, but um, I've learned what I've needed to know. Um, and I've done things the way that have seemed logical to um, to do them, and that's very different to you know somebody who's been trained to to be a professional network engineer, just as it is somebody who's been trained to be a, be well, a quite, lawyer. Quite, yeah. quite often, you, you find that the people who have formal education tend to be very much narrower in their outlook, and so the, you tend to do things in the proper prescribed way. And somebody who comes in from the outside and is self-taught will look at it and say you know what that doesn't make any sense i'm going to go this way and, uh, yeah. and that's hugely valuable can we talk yeah, can we talk a little bit about governance of the internet and we have a bunch of other people here too as well but um the okay in the united states people are talking about and there's a crisis on uh, net neutrality which would be the prioritizing of some people's packets like Netflix or Comcast over other people's packets. The world stage is a little bit different in my opinion, but we're talking about a a really weird quilt of networks here, aren't we, that are connected by by various uh, pipes, for lack of a better word. Um, But I would like to get into that. Uh, how do you feel, you, Simon, James, uh, Corrado, Peter, and Andy, about what the future is going to be for this? Uh, there's the prioritizing of packets or the not prioritizing of packets. Should everybody have the same level of connectivity on both ends? Or is there some way that this needs to be changed? Or what is anybody's take on that? To my opinion, if I can, uh, that's probably a question for Martin Geddes that we had before as a guest. Do you remember, Martin, uh, about yeah the, the fallacy of net neutrality when uh, everything is treated the same, whereas we need to prioritize something? Um, we prioritize emergency calls on telephone networks. Uh, if there, are, there is congestion, we drop calls. Uh, if there, is, there are emergency calls that, that need to go through. So uh, I'm, I'm in two minds on that. Yeah, Anybody think, else? Yeah. So, yeah, I think the basic network access should be a right. So 
everybody should be connected. But this business of uh, the kind of quality of service you get, how yeah. uh, your latencies um, and and the prioritization that you get at the trunk level um, can be determined by a number of other criteria, one of which being how much money you pay. <laughs> yeah, and, and to be clear, I'm taking my Lynx hat off now. So so anything that comes out of my mouth now is, is, is me purely, purely personally. Um, I think it depends what level you look at this at. Um, as a consumer of the internet, um, I quite like that my video works. I quite like that my voice works and they're not drowned out by cat pictures and porn. Um, now that wasn't the case five, 10 years ago. Um, capacity has increased at the access level ex exponentially. Um, contention has, has reduced. There's an abundance of capacity now, but a bit like the roads, we you know, we're continuing to consume more and more of it. But the solution to that is, is essentially quality of service and providing it's um, applied democratically and fairly. I don't have a problem with it at all. I don't have a problem with um, an ISP prioritizing voice and video over HTTP, for example. Where, where as a consumer it gets less fair is where the ISP happens to be, say, an incumbent and they're prioritizing their voice but demoting their competitor's voice because it suits yeah. their commercial interests to, to do so. Um, now, I don't know if I'd describe that, characterize that as, as net neutrality or I'd characterize that as um, just anti-competitive behavior. Um, I think I don't subscribe to, um, you know, the view that everything should be equal and everything should be should be open because I think that brings that brings technical challenges. You need quality. You need quality of service, but it needs to be fair and democratic. If you look at if you look at the higher level, I think a lot of this conversation gets muddied by people not really understanding how it works. Um, so, at a at a technical level, um, one ISP connecting to another ISP is identical regardless of their commercial relationship. Now, if they're a big ISP or connecting to another big ISP, or they're a small ISP connecting to another small ISP, and we connect to something like 600 other, you know, other, other networks of varying sizes, um, and that is a peering relationship, um, settlement-free peering, um, then there's no there's no money involved. You you take the view that everybody benefits from both your packets flowing in both directions freely and over over the most direct path. Where it gets slightly tricky is when you have networks that um, refuse to peer with other networks um, in a settlement free basis, but are necessary because of some commercial position they have in the marketplace. Say an incumbent access provider. Um, for example, and your choices as another ISP for getting packets to them are either, in some cases, to to pay for that peering, um, or to pay somebody else who happens to happens to have it already, another transit provider, and that's really the commercial model that 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 drives the internet. And I don't have a problem with it per se, um, except where it's used to um, enforce you know, um, unfair behavior. So let's, uh, let's say you have an incumbent um, operator that runs its transit ports particularly hot. So traffic that doesn't come in over its preferred means is coming through a congested port. And not so many years ago, I can think of some big operators in the UK that would freely peer with other people, but their ports would be continually congested. So mm -hmm. even though you were getting free access to their network, it was it was worth very little for a lot of traffic because you know twenty percent of your packets would, would get dropped on dropped on the floor. You're actually better going through a through a paid route to, to reach them. But I know in certain, you know, you talk about you talk about the US, in certain markets, there's certain best providers that have um, behaved less than fairly, I think, in that respect. But I don't I don't believe you you get around it by legislating a a technical solution or a technical access you get around it by dealing with the commercials of the situation and if somebody's got a monopoly where they shouldn't have a monopoly then you take away the monopoly you don't you don't deal with the consequence 
Indeed. Yeah. I think you're absolutely spot on there. And I, I, I've experienced uh, other um, scenarios where, for example, um, a certain operator will allow you to transit their network, but they'll selectively drop one packet in 10, um, which is, well, it's naughty. Yes. And, and the way you get around that is, is you have really good uh, monitoring and diagnostics. And uh, if you can prove it, um, then, uh, then you end up in court. <laughs> yeah, it's not productive for anyone. Yeah, it's not not a good good position to be in. Uh, but a, a, a key to a lot of this is having the ability to to run um, those diagnostics and see exactly what's going on with your traffic. That's absolutely mission critical. Well, that's where all this software control that I've been I've been banging on and comes on about because. Just you know, just like SIP, if you can be monitoring and controlling your your traffic in in real time, yet benefiting from hardware to actually deliver the packets, you're in you're in heaven from a from a network engineering point of view. Contrast that with a few years ago, where you had a great big fridge that you can configured with a serial cable, and then you just left it to do its thing. And yes, you had visibility of what it had already done, but you had no control over what it was about to do. Um, and that's where the world has the world has shifted. And when uh, you know networks to a greater extent, you know, get in the game with this, I think we're in some really really exciting exciting things. To give you give you one of the projects um, or two of the projects we've got going on in in this respect. So there's some stuff we've had to do to enable us to fit a quart in a pint pot with replacing these refrigerators with with lighter weight but higher capacity high capacity switches but there's some stuff we're choosing to do for, for example um, DDoS mitigation where we can identify an attack in software but we can mitigate it in hardware and previously we might have been able to see that something was happening from from our monitoring but actually the process of instructing the router to do something was somewhat cumbersome now that it's 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 far lighter weight and, and analogous to um, you know, just swinging a swinging a voice call from one gateway to you know another gateway, or you know dropping one provider using an, using another provider. Um, so that, that's really exciting. Another one is um, comes back to what we were just talking about. Actually, there's, there's certain flows across the network that are that are big and that are long and that can be quite disruptive to the smaller flows. Um, they're called elephant and mice. So you have your elephant flow, your, your, your big flow that clogs clogs the port up, and then you have your little mice flows, which are the you know the image downloads or the odd voice, you know the odd the odd voice call. Um, if you can identify the elephants in real time, you can handle them differently to make room for the mice. Um, and this is very it goes further than just quality of service where you're choosing the order of packets out of, out of a port. You're actually yeah, just proactive. Sure, just making sure the mice don't get squashed. Yeah, you just you're proactively managing managing the network. You know, think of you know think of the policeman on the road. You know, sending people down there. You know, down down the right lane to avoid to avoid yeah, chaos. Stop, yeah, stopping and, the traffic to allow the uh, the pedestrian, the young. Yeah, and and through. and there's, there's, I think we've really just just scratched the surface with um, with this stuff from a from a performance point of view, but also from um you know from a security point of view as well, um, because you can identify nefarious activity on the network and handle that in a in a in a, in a different way without having to take the the backward step of funneling all your traffic through some big, you know, monolithic security appliance that introduces um, a point, point of failure. You can use the network itself to, um, to protect itself to some extent and keep, keep the specialist um, kit for specialist purposes. Yeah, exciting times. We're just on the cusp of all of this. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, I think you're very lucky in that you're sitting in a position where you're sitting on this massive network and you've got all this ip traffic and then on top of that voice messaging traffic flowing over a network of which you have total control and that is a really interesting position to be in and there are very few people who can do that uh, or outfits unless you're a kind of a a, a national carrier with mobile bits um yeah, very, very yeah. interesting to be able to do the entire stack. Yeah, I think we, I think we've probably hit the, hit the sweet spot in terms of in terms of size and, 
governance, if you like, because if I was employed, I wouldn't have been able to successfully make the business case for many of the things that we've done. Um, but many of the, the things that we've done because they're shiny and exciting, um, we've gone ahead and done because they're shiny and excited and further, you know, further the mission and, and take and on, on the subject of shiny and exciting things, I'm going to ask the question, which I kind of know the answer to, but uh, I'm just interested to see how you, uh, you answer this. Um, where, where are you going to take this? Where are we going to be in two years' time, three years' time? Where's, where's who going to be? Where are you going to be? Where's Simwood going to be in two years' time? Uh, he said, dodging the question very adeptly. <laughs> we've, got, um, we've got a lot going on at the moment. Um, we've got a number of things technically going on that um, – I hope to God will be finished in a couple of years' time. Um, and they're really exciting and, and bring, you know, tremendous uh, benefits to the business, but, but are, are just tremendously gratifying from a, from a technical point of view. So, you know, I hope I'll be able to, you know, talk more about those. And I'll have probably discovered some other shiny thing by then that will be, that will be um, focusing our... Yeah, I've, no, I've noticed you do, um, uh, do have this thing about shiny things. And we haven't even talked about the helicopter yet. <laughs> Um, commercially, um, we've probably got a lot more going on, um, but I can say a lot less about it. Um, and, and probably it's not that interesting for, you know, for, for the audience of this, this show, to be honest, but the, the voice business, um, particularly at wholesale, um, particularly in the UK is at a juncture, shall we say? Yeah, we've been um, seeing massive consolidation, haven't we? Over, I think, yeah. Now, consolidation doesn't doesn't scare me. Um, I'd be happy to be part of con- consolidation, providing what you end up with is better than the the bits that you started with. Um, the bit I struggle with that um, is happening in the UK, but I seem to be the only person that sees it because nobody believes me when I bang on about it. Is is essentially remonopolisation. Um, where you have a dominant incumbent with an unregulated product and a regulator that is utterly ineffective and unwilling to to tackle the promotion of that product, that is to the what will be, I believe, the extortion of people that have consumed the regulated product intent on opening the market up. So we're at a stage now where and, and, and this, this touches on some conversations I'm having after many years of kicking down certain doors. Um, you're at a stage now where people that are big enough to never be desirable as customers or never be a realistic prospect as customers, you've come to that or you, they have come to some accommodation with, um, to bring them into a desirable means of interconnecting. And you have other people that are desirable consumers of this unregulated product. And then you've got people in between, like us, that rely on our regulated privilege um, and regulated uh, pricing to be able to operate in the marketplace. And I suspect having taken the big people out the top and having got lots of customers at the bottom, we're not too far away from a situation where the price has to go up for the old old PDM technology because nobody's using it anymore. Um, and poor old incumbent, um, you know, needs needs some help um, to keep to keep the lights on. And that then extorts those people in the middle to either pay a lot more for what was previously their their right, or to become customers. And and that's what I mean by um, by remonopolization because that's not consolidation in a um, in a positive way, people buying each other and getting together and doing great, great things together. It's people going out of business and people being unable to operate in a market because of fundamental unfairness. Um, and that offends everything that, that I and, and we are about. Um, and has been a fairly major preoccupation of mine for the last, last three or four years. Um, and doubtless will continue to be so. 
Well, you know what the next step is. I mean, it's uh, it's going to be commercial, political, um, and well, you uh, end, up, end up in politics. And uh, and what what an interesting time to be talking about politics as well. <clears throat> exactly. <laughs> I don't know if I could end up in politics, and 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 to be honest, I detest um, I detest regulation and and governance and all that kind of thing. But as but I do, do I, and I think I'm very similar to you. When people say you can't do do something, and it doesn't make sense, it just makes you want to do it even more. Yes, yes. yeah, 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 just and that's. Yeah, that that uh, you know, if if there's one sort of sentence that describes my life, really, the only reason I'm in this industry is because somebody called me told me I couldn't. Um, you know, really, why I'm why I'm here. So that the more I'm told I can't do something, then the more I will then will do it. Um, but uh, yeah, <laughs> but not politics. No, I'm not that bad. Yeah, sadly, we today we we lost probably one of the most able politicians from Scotland, just in Scotland, the indomitable Callum Kerr who uh, unfortunately for him is a member of the Scottish National Party and they lost a number of seats today and sadly his was one of them. I was hoping that because he was so capable, his, uh, his electorate would um, vote for him. But uh, there's nothing as fickle as the uh, British or even Scottish electorate, uh, electorate yeah. is there. And moving and, uh, on from moving on quickly, <laughs> and moving on from politics and the yes. uh, buzzkill. Well, I, I was trying, trying to link into the Scottish connection to bring in our our friend uh, Carrado, but but even our, Peter and Carrado. But uh, before we do that, uh, everybody could be involved in the next phase, which is we just have a few minutes left to fill. Uh, what we could talk about is some of the more exciting developments. Uh, James, you had something you wanted to go on about, but I think it had to do with Apple, so we could probably pass on that. No, we don't have to talk about Apple, do we? No. But what? Well, well, let's talk about Apple then very quickly. I mean, Apple WWDC uh, occurred earlier this week, and they uh, uh, came out with their latest and greatest or not quite so great technologies. Um, But one, one thing that grabbed my attention was the Apple Home Pod, which is their cut on, um, you know, the Amazon Echo. The uh, third Google entry Home. after uh, Amazon and Google, yeah. And as a late entry, clearly they're going to have to do something that the others don't do. Um, and one thing that they, they can do, as they control the infrastructure so well, is that they can bolt it very, very closely into their mobile and computing um, infrastructure. And so as they example, do cloud so well. They well, well, their cloud stuff actually isn't bad. It's just oh, expensive. Please. No, uh, no, no. It's not, it's not. when it started, <laughs> no, no. It, it was a bit flaky. But um, a bit gave me, flaky? Uh, the the shit didn't home. work. <laughs> it does work. This new home pod. This new home pod. People, people will buy it because it looks pretty and it's twice as expensive. Yeah, and it does uh, phase uh, array and. Yeah, and to be honest, I'll probably end up buying one. I've got an Echo downstairs, and it's you know, um, or an Echo Dot downstairs, and but I've also got iPhones and iPads everywhere, and you know what? Yeah, well, well you and I. Peter, we're the same. I've got multiple yeah. uh, Amazon devices. I've got a Google Home, and uh, undoubtedly, not initially, but uh, probably off eBay, I'll, I'll have a um, a Home Pod as well. But one of the one of the clever things it can do uh, is because it's totally integrated with all the other products, you can set up voice calls and send uh, messages coming back to it. Voice calls, oh, really? It's, it's, voice it's, calls? That's exciting so stuff. Wow. And quite yeah, because, and quite possibly directly to the Safari browser because they've got WebRTC. Oh yeah, well. of course. How can I forget? That's the other exciting thing, Peter, isn't it? At the last, after many many years of waiting. And in fact, yesterday, yesterday I got an email from Topbox because Topbox have already put support into OpenTalk, for, into an OpenTalk beta for um, WebRTC on Safari. Or the um, Safari beta, you can get the OpenTalk beta and and use it. We well, are containing our, containing our excitement here. That's probably a, a good excuse to have somebody from Topbox on the VUC, isn't it? Good point. Yeah, sure. Anyway, I I still don't get these 
these devices, these talk to your talk to your speaker type devices, Siri, all all that. I, I used Siri once, and I, I've never used it again. I'm I'm an Apple fanboy. Um, well, Siri I, is, is clumsy compared with uh, the Google um, thing, and and dare I say it, the Amazon thing. Where it's been good, where it's been good for me is I'm sitting up at the middle of the night, and there's a baby in one arm, a bottle in the other, I'll turn over the TV channel. <laughs> and you just tell it to do it. Yeah, and you know what? Well, doesn't, that, doesn't that depend on what's in the bottle, Peter? <laughs> there are little, little things that you, you tend to use it for. Uh, and I use Siri to turn on the flashlight on my iPhone when I'm trying to escape from my back cave here because I have to walk across the patio. Can't you just do a V gesture, James? Well, not when I've got my hands full. That's oh. the whole point. When you're carrying loads of stuff. You you can't do things with your fingers, okay. so, so you want to uh, talk to it. You, so, you can always make two trips, you know. It's it's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> but, in, but in this day and age, with with all of the revelations over you know over recent years and and, and everything that we know, you're happy with an interconnect, internet connected closed source recording device in the heart of your home? Why? <laughs> there's a level of there is an element of trust there but on the other hand the detection of the word alexa the reason that the the amazon echo only has you know three or four words that can trip is that doesn't require the internet connection you know it's not actually recording and transmitting right. until it's triggered um oh. and that's why that's why you call it alexa or you call it echo or you call Call it whatever it is, but you don't, you can't, you can't decide to call it Bill. Well, isn't, <laughs> isn't OK Google the same? That's the same thing, and, right? And Hey Siri. Mm. So, but that yeah. requires that requires a a degree of trust on your part and a, and a relative, unless you're going to start, you know, tracing packets, a relative inability to verify it. I'm yeah. going to go with. I think I, I think I'm going with Simon here. I think this is what you're saying, Simon, which is that I don't want any of these devices in my home. I have no reason to have them, and I have no desire to have them. Yeah, they're fun toys to play with, and I, and I get why people like them. But um, who, who was it? Somebody said the other day. You know, get off your ass and turn the light switch. Why do you have exactly. to have the thing that turns the lights on? Which is okay. You know. But you might have your hands full. That's so, the whole point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Does anybody remember Wally and those fat people on those floating? Right, right, chair? exactly. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm not going there. Sorry. Wally, you're right. Uh, Wall you know, e. uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, remember, you all remember the uh, clapping to turn the lights on, right? <laughs> You need two hands to clap, don't you? And you might as well just go and turn. turn no, you can have one hand clapping. You just need a little zen. <laughs> anyway, I found a, a quite an interesting use for the Alexa thing. Because if, if you've got the Alexa app paired to your devices, you can see what people are asking your Alexa device to do. And even when I'm not at home, I can actually then play back the, the command to find out who it was who asked Alexa that question. And, and you're not really beyond using such nefarious means to make uh, the, the kitchen uh, full of sounds that you desire to play rather than with their, that which they would like. Well, I, 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 yeah, well, we, well, you know that whilst we're in Berlin, I did amuse myself by playing certain tracks of music like um, Daddy Cool, and what else did I play? Maximum volume, just to wake everybody up first thing in the morning. Let, let us bring us back. Bring this back to first of all, um, we miss Tim because he's on his way to, I think, San Francisco or some SFX. What's he, what's he doing in? Where's San SFX? I don't know. Uh, that is Berlin. I thought. Oh, right. Uh, that's that uh, is Schoen Berlin, yeah. Schoenfeld. Anyway, back to Simon, our guest. Simon, uh, first of all, when's the next time people are going to have a Simon uh, sighting in public? What, <laughs> next connection, next conference? Next <laughs> conference. I've been down the mountain all week, actually. I've, uh, I, 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 got back, I got back to the bunker, as um, <laughs> the office seemed to call it, um, last, last night. But no, if you mean conferences and things. Um, yeah. Uh, Clucon. Clucon. Um, 
But, we're, um, we're both going to be at Klucon, aren't we? Yeah. Um, but we're about to do um, a series of uh, webinars, probably not for this, probably not for this audience, more for a sort of more business oriented um, audience um, that kind of wrap up some of the things we've done at technical technical depth in recent years into something more more palatable and a, and a bit of a catch up. So the, the VoIP fraud stuff, the networking stuff, um, various other things and that ties in with some some marketing work. So I'll I'll be doing those. Um, but other than that, wherever I'm. Wherever I'm invited, I, I tend to be quite sort of busy running about the place at, at the moment. We're um, we've got loads of projects going on, as I mentioned. We're about to move office, um, so we're moving up to. If you don't know the UK, the geography won't won't mean much, but we're moving from from the south coast to um, to Bristol, um, which is sort of the west the west of England. So that'll be closer to me, which means I can go to the office more. Um, which will be good. Certainly I'm exciting told. for the people at the office, Simon. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> also, um, all kidding aside, we are um, we look at blog.simwood.com for some interesting articles that you publish from time to time. And we should remind people that they should go to Simwood and take a look at the offer uh, and that there's a simple way to get in and test this stuff. I think it's cost like three euros, pounds, or dollars. I don't remember which. Uh, just go to simwood.com and check that out if you want to see what their offering is. Okay? Yeah, thank you. All right. Anybody else have any closing statements? Andy, Corrado, James, Peter, or we will go to the mature audiences only segment. Oh, there are so many so many things that I'd like, like I, to ask, ask Simon know, about, about his network. But... Um, Go on, Andy. Go pick one. I'll pick one. Easy one. Um, I, I, I distinctly, in, in my back of my mind, I seem to remember when I asked you this before that um, I asked, asked you how you, um, you you route your voice traffic as opposed to transit that you sell, and I think you said you do them on completely different circuits. Is that right? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> how do you do them then? <laughs> so. So with the, um, well, it depends. It depends what level we're selling transit. So we we sell transit at a few levels. Rather than selling transit as a consolidated single feed of our routes and the transit providers' routes, we actually sell them as two two separate products on two separate VLANs for a customer, which might be might be what you're thinking about. Um, so they have a VLAN of routes to us and across us, and then they have a VLAN directly into transit provider. And we don't bother getting in the in the way of that at layer three. It's just layer two, straight in and straight out. But most traffic, in fact, 86% or so of traffic across the network um, goes to and from our peers. Um, and, and generally speaking, that's, that's in and out of the, the same local site. So there's huge forwarding capability there. There's huge fat pipes. There's, there's generally not, not an issue with um, conge- well, there isn't an issue with um, congestion or contention. Um, but what we also do is we apply quite strict quality of service on every port into, out of, um, and across the network um, that effectively guarantees that the, the voice and the media traffic, especially voice and media traffic coming, coming to us, um, takes priority over your your standard um, you know in, internet traffic HTTP traffic etc um, we do that we do that in quite an interesting way and and we actually do it in a way that um, best efforts isn't our lowest lowest quality um, we actually reserve a, a class on the network called below best efforts um, so what that means is if we have a if we have an attack or just generally bad traffic on the network that that we can't get rid of easily. We can class it as below best efforts, and that means you can actually you can actually run a port at 100% utilization, but all of the best efforts and above traffic will will not notice um, because it's the below best efforts that, that essentially experiences the the congestion. Um, that's probably the, the the thing you're thinking of. Yeah, I, th- I think you, you're, you're possibly right. The, re- the real point to the, to the question was that I knew that you ran your, your voice traffic at a different quality of service to everything else. Yeah. Um, um, which is the whole net neutrality thing, and you know, frankly, I'm going to run the net. I'm going to run my network the way that benefits my customers, um, and 
It's your core yeah. business. I, would, I don't yeah. think anyone would expect you to do anything else. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll pack in the day that that changes, really, I think. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to ask any more questions. Thank you very much. All right, in that case, we're going to move to... Oops, I'm not on the... Uh, thing okay so fine you're gonna to have to look at me rather than a slide thank you simon don't let's thank not you. wait three years for you to come back is it that long yeah probably something like that no, no sorry about that it doesn't seem like any time it yeah, it's been a long long time who just dropped off was that peter? Uh, peter well maybe he'll come back anyway we're going to move to the uh more discreet area to talk amongst ourselves you we'll can join us helicopters. next week <laughs> the heli- black helicopters. Next week, 2600 Hertz with uh, Darren Schreiber. And from the weeks on, you can always expect to have great guests and a lot of fun. Oh, Peter says, ha- sorry, I had my computer restart itself. Maybe he'll join back us back. Meantime, good night, everybody from uh, ZipDX and so on. We're going to move to private and uh, join us again anytime. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our host at PBX is provided by OnSIP.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net-zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com.